Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steve Jodderin. Joining me today is Armand Kafai and Jake Wittrova. And on today's episode, we wrap everything up with the U.S. women and their fourth World Cup title. We also got Yahoo Sports insider Doug McIntyre joining us to give us the inside scoop of what it was like being in France. Now, listeners, if you haven't done so, hit that subscribe button, leave us a five-star review, and follow us at Uncle Sam's Soccer Pod. Now, Jake Armand... It's been over a week now since the U.S. women have lifted their fourth World Cup title, and the media buzz seems to continue on. It still does. No, it does. Uh, it, it, it's funny because with like social media, we can see everything, right? You go on Instagram. You see them posting stories. You see them at the ESPYs. Maybe it'll slow down at some point, but I, mean, I don't see it for another couple of weeks at least. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, they are the – media darlings right now of not only U.S. soccer, but they're making appearances everywhere. You have the the fans of the Ashlyn Harris Instagram stories, too, which people seem to... I uh, love them. They're hilarious. They can't get, they can't get enough. <laughs> you got Megan Rapinoe making appearances left and right. I saw a video this morning of J-Lo giving Carly Lloyd a lap dance at Madison Square Garden, I think, uh, early, earlier this weekend. Yep. Everyone, everyone wants a piece of the U.S. women's national team. Yeah, guys. And, and looking back at the TV numbers, 14.3 million viewers watched Fox's broadcast of the final. That's 22% more viewers than the men's final in 2018. That was at 12.5 million. It was the most watched soccer telecast in the U.S. since the 2015 women's final, U.S. women versus Japan. And if I remember correctly, that final eclipse like 24 million now that's just the off the top of my head but jake tell us more now that we are headed back to domestic soccer with the women's game yeah steven with the u.s women's national team run to the final and with them ultimately being crowned world champions that has spurred interest in nwsl and the future of the league and, and, and some news that, that broke, I don't know if it was just before or just after the final, but ESPN has inked a TV rights deal with the league. ESPN has agreed to air 14 matches 
uh, for the rest of this season on ESPN2 and ESPN News, including both semifinal matches and the championship game. The league previously had a three-year TV deal with Lifetime and A&E Networks, which was abandoned in February, which would have been a year earlier than the contract was up. Um, Armand or Steven, how, how big of a contract is this for NWSL? So look, exposure-wise, it's obviously relatively bigger. You're in the worldwide leader in sports. We all know that ESPN gives that credibility boost. However, I'm interested to see if there's even any a rights fee even paid to uh, the NWSL. Because, for example, the XFL and the AAF, when they were around, their rights deals, they received very little money or none, but they wanted the exposure from these from those major networks. I wonder if that's the same case. I'm not I'm not sure even a fee is involved, but it again, it, getting them on TV, I think we talked about this. For some reason, streaming is cool and all everyone says the future, but people still obviously prefer to watch on their TV. So having it on those on that family of networks, you know, like even though it's they've been free on Yahoo Sports, I I think I just prefer, you know, if I was scrolling through channels, oh look, some uh, NWSLs on, maybe I'll stick around and watch it. I think it's big from that standpoint, but I'm not sure if I'm like a rights fee or anything, it's going, it's even a thing to be honest with you. Because I mean, so sorry to interrupt you, Steven. Grant Wall, I mean, he mentioned on his show that hey, look, the NWSL might not, it's not guaranteed to exist next year, and you wouldn't be saying that if they received some sort of money like that was substantial enough. It's an important deal. We'll see how it goes. Up next, Doug McIntyre. Join us now on the show is Yahoo Sports soccer writer Doug McIntyre. You can follow him on Twitter at by Doug McIntyre. Hey Doug, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Armand. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Welcome back to the states. I know you've been here a couple of days, but talk about it. How was life in France for for the the month that you were there? Yeah, it was great. It was great. Thanks for asking. It was uh, it was a thrill. I mean, any any time you get to cover a major event like that, any time you get to cover a World Cup, um, is is a privilege. So, um, fantastic event. Uh, France is a great country. Uh, very easy to get around. Um, the there was a buzz in the cities. There was excitement. Um, the games were fantastic. The stadiums were packed. There were American fans everywhere, um, and that was one of the big takeaways for me. There was just an incredible amount of support um, for for that team, and uh, and I, you know the way they went through that tournament. Uh, the U.S. team was was phenomenal. Just um, really interesting. Really, it was my first experience covering that team um, that closely for that long, um, and to see how they were able to sort of block out any noise from the outside and. Uh, or even use it to sort of fuel them um, was really interesting. I mean, you know, tournaments are funny things. It's hard to get a group of people um, and confine them for a long period of time. And the team was together, um, you know, more than five weeks when you add in the pre, uh, pre-tournament pre training session um, or, or training week that they had in London. They played friendly games before that. Um, you know, so if you can get that many people together and, and, and you know, and not only not – you know, not kill each other, but actually 
um, you know, sort of grow stronger, uh, you know, which this team clearly did. Uh, it's very interesting and it stands out and it's, uh, you know, I've covered a lot of teams over the years and, and that was one thing I really noticed that, um, you know, that not a lot of teams, uh, not a lot of teams have, and it, it's such a, you know, beyond the talent, it's such an important aspect of winning. And I think an underappreciated one. So that was really interesting to see. Doug, you had mentioned there was a buzz in the air with the women's world cup in France. Um, I, I believe there was a, a I don't, forgive me, I don't know that the the publication, but they had the U.S. women's national team winning the final on the front page, and the Tour yep. de France was on, on the back page. Can you talk a little bit more about how the country as a whole embraced the Women's World Cup? Yeah, they certainly, and and you're right. I mean, there was a ton of buzz. Buzz that was uh, L'Equipe, the, uh, the the major sports uh, sports magazine in France, I believe. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that. We saw, we saw a tremendous amount of media coverage. The one thing I would say that was a little bit unfortunate was once the home team was eliminated and, and, you know, they were calling it the final before the final that France U S game in Paris in the quarterfinals, um, was such a marquee event. And in the lead up to that game, there was a huge, um, swell of interest and enthusiasm from the, the French public. And unfortunately, I think that waned a little bit after the home team went out. Um, there were still a ton of U.S. fans, like I said. Um, the semifinals and final were in Lyon, which is in uh, a bit south, a few hours south of Paris, um, uh, capital for, for women's soccer. But but still, I mean, I think, you know, everyone thinks of, of France. You think of Paris being where the, uh, you know, the, the, the stage is brightest. Uh, so different vibe in Lyon. It's a smaller city. Um, and, you know, American fans took it over, and so did the Dutch. I have to say the Dutch traveled in large numbers, uh, especially for the semifinals and final, uh, obviously, you know, not far away. So I think a lot of people, uh, you know, came in for the final. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of atmosphere, and, and but the only unfortunate thing I, I, I would say is that because of the draw, um, France had to had to play against the U.S. in the quarterfinals and, and lost that game by a close margin in you know, France had been been in there till the semis, uh, or the final. I think we we would have seen um, even more buzz in France, but it was still pretty. It was still pretty impressive, nonetheless. And it speaks to where I think the women's game is going, and and just uh, you know that that tournament is uh, is growing by leaps and bounds every four years. Um, so all of that was really good to see. Doug, you talk about the atmospheres, but I was listening to a interview about the world cup and the person i don't remember who was speaking was the the notable difference between the 2018 world cup and this world cup is that you have a lot more families in the stadiums could you could you elaborate on that i mean did you see a lot more of the of of a family feel to some of these games yeah it's interesting i wasn't in russia um like a lot of americans for the for the 2018 world cup uh obviously the the, the American soccer players weren't there either, but I did cover the 2014 World Cup uh, in in uh, Brazil, and uh, yeah, there, there, it, there's a different vibe. There's a different audience. It's a little more tame. You you have a uh, you know I think for the men's World Cup you have a lot of young urban professionals with disposable income and uh, you know the, the, that are out at the bars and having a good time. And there was plenty of that. I got to say, there's plenty of that in France. But yeah, a bit more of a family vibe. A lot of kids. Uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, ponytailed hooligans, uh, you know, little 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 girls, and a lot of little boys as well, which I think is important. Uh, you know, important to to note. I was able to to get my family over for a game, and uh, my son and daughter went to the Chile game and and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you know, so 
you know, again, it's a great event and, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing like a world cup. Um, but the women's world cup is different and it's different covering it for, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, the, the, the access to the players is, is, is a bit different. Um, you know, it, 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 there's, there's a lot of aspects to it, um, that are, that are, that are very similar to, to a, a, a men's world cup and, and, and a lot that are quite different, uh, as well. I mean, I don't think anyone, um, you know, would argue that, that the women's world cup is, is nearly as, as popular worldwide as the men's one is, but, um, but certainly when you look at a lot of the viewership numbers around the world, um, for, for some of those games, particularly the final, I mean, more people in Brazil watch the final, uh, and their team wasn't even in it than, uh, than, than there were in the United States. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely reaching a different audience and look, these, the games were fantastic. I mean, they were exciting games and, uh, you know, these are world-class athletes and, uh, and I think that, you know, soccer is such a great sport and such a great sport to watch that, you know, it's really about exposure. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people around the world were exposed to the women's game for the first time. And, in, uh, and it, you know, was a, this tournament was a great, great advertisement for the sport. No question about it. Now, Doug, I'll just shift a little bit, just kind of recapping with the U.S.'s performance in the World Cup, which obviously ended in stupendous fashion. In your article on July 7th, you mentioned, you said this, but it was hard, really hard, because it's always hard when there's a target on your back. And when a little luck is a requirement, and when almost every traditional soccer power there is determined to find these arrogant Americans in their place, yeah. were yeah. the U.S. kind of the evil villains of this tournament for the rest <laughs> of the world? <laughs> A little bit. I mean, it's 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 interesting, and and there's you know it's definitely interesting traveling the world now. People are fascinated by what's going on in the U.S. You get a lot of questions about the the political climate in the country. You get a lot of questions about the president, um, and I, so I, I think it's I think it's it's interesting. I mean, you everybody wants to knock off the top dog. That's the same in any sport, um, you know. So that that was certainly the case. I think other teams, uh, you know, would would like to have seen the U.S lose um but there was also and i was surprised i mean i spoke to uh there was a, a waitress in the in the uh the hotel one of the hotel restaurants or one of the restaurants in the hotels that we were staying at and she was from spain and it was, this was the day after the u.s spain game and she said i have a secret i was tre- cheering for the for the u.s team against my own country basically because of how good they are because they like the way they they played uh, she liked the way that they, they played and i thought that was fascinating so you actually had a lot of admirers um of the u.s team as well just because they were so good and so dominant and i think everyone recognized that early on i mean even a lot of the french people that i spoke to said you know uh like you know we have a good team but i think the us is unstoppable i don't think we're going to be able to win this game uh you know talking in the lead up to that quarter final and and obviously that turned out to be the case and uh and and i think uh, but i think a lot of a lot of folks um that you know are are, are critical of of the united states or or uh you know the the administration in place now i thought they they really got behind the team because of of um, you know the the dispute on Twitter between uh, between President Trump and Megan Rapino. I think that was that was interesting. That uh, a lot of folks uh, seemed you know obviously polarizing in a, in a lot of ways, and, and that turned people off. Um, but I think for the international audience, that uh, that was something that they that made them get behind the U.S. team as opposed to the opposite. So uh, that part of it was interesting. I mean, you, you know, we all looked at sports as an escape, but, but international sports and politics are are always intertwined. It's just the nature of it. Um, so that that aspect was 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 pretty interesting, and uh, you know, really transcended the tournament. Um, and it was, a, I mean, it was an interesting day. I got to tell you that you know, we had Megan Rapinoe in the press conference. Uh, 
the day after all that stuff kind of blew up and um and it was fascinating and a lot of a lot of people a lot of athletes a lot of people would have would have shied away or backed down or whatever and it was very interesting to see how she handled all of that she's one of the most unflappable uh subjects i've ever covered um so to see her in that element and um uh, and by the way she wasn't alone i thought i thought you know all, all the women on the u.s team handled that uh that situation very uh very well um so it was uh that was a that was an interesting few days and uh and really fun to be a part of doug i want to i want to touch upon the the rapino and, and trump dispute a little bit more here with some of the people you spoke to in france how did they perceive the off-field noise between the two you mentioned that it was kind of almost like a rallying call for the rest of the world to be on the U.S. women's side. But can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, I mean, the, what, what was interesting on on the one hand, I mean, there, there's there's two schools of thought immediately when that happened. Like, this is either going to hurt the U.S. team or it's going to help them. And, you know, you could see it both ways. And originally I thought, you know, this is a, ma- this is a big-time distraction. You know, it, it comes out right before the France game. I mean, this is a month-old video. Um, I got to say, I mean, it took a lot of guts for, uh, and I think that's the right word, for uh, 8x8 Magazine to hold that video. Um, you know, not know, I mean, if the U.S. gets eliminated by Spain in that first knockout match in the round of 16, uh, you know, then, then that's not, uh, it's not much of a story if they release that uh, that video then. But they, they held on until a couple of days before the uh, the France game and put this out and it blows up and, uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden there's, there's, there's this Twitter beef that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, I mean, my first thought was like, this is a distraction. This is the, you know, this is not, not good for any team that's going into a big game to have this kind of thing. Um, and for all the talk, you know, earlier in the tournament about how they, the players were off Twitter, they were keeping everything on the outside. They really weren't on social media at all. They were, they were kind of, um, insulating themselves inside this bubble, um, you know, that clearly got through, that clearly permeated. We saw, we saw, you know, players like Ali Krieger and Ali Long, um, you know, speaking out on social media afterwards. Um, and, the, the, but the funny thing is, is that, you know, it was almost in my colleague, Dan, Dan Wetzel, yeah, who wrote about this, um, you know, you see, it, it was almost the best thing that could have happened to them because you see all the time coaches trying to create the, trying to create distractions to get everyone talking that takes the pressure off, off the matter at hand. And I think that was the case. I mean, all of a sudden, no one was talking about the game anymore. No one was talking about the French team. No one was talking about, hey, Alex Morgan hasn't scored since the opening match. Uh, you know, is Lindsey Horan going to play? All of, all of that stuff kind of stopped. Um, and I think it, it let the U.S. kind of refocus. And um, and it really helped them. I mean, in the same way you saw, and again, you, this happens all the time. You saw Phil Neville, um, the, the England uh, women's team coach, try to kind of create a a dispute about, you know, the U.S. team scouting their hotel, which was completely ridiculous and made up out of nothing. But there was a reason he did it. I mean, it was it was to take the pressure off his team. And and, uh, and again, in a funny way, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something of their own creation. Um, you know, this is and Megan made the point. She said, look, I didn't come out and say anything this week. Like, this, this is old. You know, this is there's, there's nothing I can do if this if this comes up months later, you know, after the fact. So, um, so that part of it was really interesting, and to see how like they went into that France game, fo- you know, focused, refocused after getting a good scare against Spain, um, and I thought that was really interesting. And then obviously, you know, the you, you can't write this stuff. I mean, Rapino gets the first goal less than five minutes in on a free kick that, you know, was not a shot, and the keeper, sh- you know, shouldn't have let in. 
Um, and then she gets, you know, she gets a, a sitter to, to close it out. And, and this is, you know, as a, as a sports writer, this is the stuff you dream of. So, you know, the theater that, that week um, and, to, and to cap it off with a win against France in Paris, um, it was just, it was, it was really surreal. It was incredible. One of the most incredible things I've ever been lucky enough to cover. So um, pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you talk a lot about the intersection there of politics and sports. Uh, listeners, if you haven't done so, it's a, it's a French documentary, but on Netflix, if you go back, you can follow the, the 98 France team that won the first World Cup, and the politics surrounding that was fascinating. And I think a lot of the women and the politics, it, it kind of – I don't know. It kind of boosted them. They got a bigger stage because of it. They they stuck to their guns and they performed well. And that's that's all you can ask for. But let me ask you something regarding uh, the U.S. woman, Miguel Delaney. He he's a football writer for the Independent, and he tweeted out uh, July seventh this: the U.S. women's national team isn't much liked by a lot of neutrals because it's one of the first times a U.S. team has dominated a truly international sport, bringing all the worst of the individualistic obnoxiousness of u.s sporting culture to truly international competition for a rare occasion when you spoke to fans when you spoke to all these people did the individualistic nature of some of the players kind of throw people off yeah it's a good question i don't that was not my experience i have to say um and i saw i saw miguel tweet uh at at the time and, and he's entitled entitled to his opinion i disagree um you know, again, I think the team was more popular than a lot of people either want to admit or realize. And the people I saw and the people I spoke to uh, on the ground in France, no matter where they were from, they knew who Megan Rapinoe was, and they were a fan of hers, and they did not have a problem with her outspokenness or arrogance or anything like that. And, you know, frankly, the, the only people I saw complaining about the 13 nothing win in the first the first game were were uh, were people on Twitter um, from from back in the states and elsewhere, um, and and you know the funny thing is, and I said this at the time, like the Thai players and coach weren't offended, so I don't know why anyone, you know, you're entitled to your opinion. I understand, and I've coached teams, you know, where you know I, I told our players not to to run up the score or to make three passes before you shoot or whatever it is, but this is not, you know, this is not uh, under nine soccer. This is the World Cup and. And you know, I, I really think that that narrative of of, of arrogance was uh, was really over overblown, and it's lazy. Um, you know, when you when you're around this team, I mean, they're they're confident and they're uh, and they've earned the right to be. Um, so there's a difference there. I mean, this is a team of champions, and and uh, I really thought that they had a lot of neutrals on their side by the time that tournament was over. I really did. Um, and again, for some of the reasons we we mentioned. Um, but the way they handled themselves, uh, you know, I, I thought, I thought they handled themselves brilliantly and, and, and in some very difficult situations. Um, so, you know, I, I I'm sure a lot of people f- feel the way Miguel does, um, around the world, but that was certainly not my experience with, uh, with the people I spoke to on the ground in France. Now, Doug, now shifting to the kind of the overarching effect of this women's world cup, I mean, obviously the NWSL came out and they said, Hey, look. We now are going to have 14 of our games broadcast on ESP. And the first one is actually as we're recording the Orlando Pride yep. and Port Thorns uh, playing. Do you think that this Women's World Cup, I know we say this for almost every World Cup, oh, if it's a men's, it'll give a boost to MLS. Do you think this this Women's World Cup will have a, will have a very strong you know, effect positively for the NWSL? Well, 
it can't hurt. I mean, uh, th- that's the bottom line. I don't know how much uh, it'll have an effect. How much I don't know, and that's you know maybe a, a pessimistic answer, but I, I think that it's important that we are realistic, and you know there'll be a boost, um, and and it's certainly encouraging to see uh, that league get more exposure, uh, more sponsorship dollars, all that stuff's important, um, but it's it's there's no there's no you know magic pill, um, there's no one event that's gonna that's gonna catapult that league into a different stratosphere. I think that. Um, you know, there, there, there needs to be slow and st- steady growth, like we've seen with the way MLS is built. Um, and uh, and given the way that the the two women's leagues that came before the NWSL one, I think it's really important that that the owners of that league um, don't get ahead of themselves, um, and and really, you know, make sure that they're um, they're not overextending or, or not. Uh, you know, not not make any rash rash decisions based on some marketing bump from from the World Cup. Um, but it is a quality league. Look, it's it's you know, it's it's the best league probably top to bottom in in the world. I am a bit concerned because to be over in Europe and to see what some of the uh, the European teams are doing. I mean, you look at Lyon, um, the facilities they have, their stadium is is incredible. I mean, that's a an NFL caliber stadium um, that they have, you know, for a, you know, first division team in France and um, that, you know, the training facilities available to to teams like Real Madrid, who just announced plans to start a women's team. I think it's going to be, it's going to be difficult for the NWSL to keep up if if Europe um, continues to invest in women's soccer, because it's already the number one sport there. The fan, you know, there's fans of these clubs are already, are already there. Um, you know, it's not it's not quite the same as uh, as you know a, a, an Orlando um, Orlando City uh, trying to get get uh, fans to go see uh, to see the Pride, and that and that's a team I think that's even more closely linked than than many others in the NWSL to to you know to their uh, their men's team. Um, you know, but yeah, there's a built-in fan base for a lot of these teams around the world, um, and you know, like I said, all the infrastructure is in place, the coaching, the know-how, the expertise, the opportunities, the the culture, it's already there. So I think it's going to be tricky for the NWSL to um, to really be a player long term, but um, but it is a fantastic league, and and if you enjoyed watching uh, these women from all around the world, not just the uh, not just the U.S. women's team. Um, do their thing over in France. I think it's definitely worth uh, checking out. It's worth going to a game. Tickets are cheap. You can take your family. Uh, it's a nice day out, and there there's some absolute world class athletes uh, in that league. So um, it's good news. It's good to see. Uh, I think that league is going to get better, uh, better and better. But uh, but yeah, I, I I would refrain from saying that the World Cup is going to make all the difference for that league is uh, as big a deal as it, as it was and as much momentum as it, as it has generated. Doug, last question here before we let you go. Jill Ellis's contract is set to expire at the end of this month. Is there any inclination that she'll be back as U.S. women's national team manager for the next cycle? Yeah, I mean, I, I asked her in the press conference right after the game, and uh, I didn't think I would get an answer, but I did want to put her on the, on the spot, get her on the record. Um, and she, she said, you know, she hadn't even thought about it, which I don't believe. I'm sure she's thought about it. Um, from everyone I've talked to, the sense, the sense is that she's going to walk away. And why wouldn't she? Um, it's, it's hard coaching a national team. Uh, you know, it's very hard to do it for, for, for three cycles. Most coaches don't do it for two. 
Um, and there's a reason why she's the first women's coach and only the second coach in World Cup history and the first in over 80 years to win back-to-back World Cups. That's a tremendous accomplishment, and, and one we're not talking about nearly enough, in my opinion. Um, I could be wrong. Ellis could be back. Listen, she made, you know, she she's got a year left in her con- on her contract, uh, or I'm sorry, her contract expires at the end of the month, but there is an option for her. She has an option the U- uh, that she can exercise. U.S. soccer has an option um, that it can exercise if she wants to come back. Um, her annual salary is $500,000 a year. So does, is she going to leave, you know, uh, half a million bucks on the table and walk away? Um, you know, I, I don't know. But Jill Ellis is going to have a lot of opportunities, I think, um, down down the line to do whatever she wants, whether that's speaking engagements or, you know, I, I still think she's going to end up as, as coach of England at some point. That's where she was born. She talked often in this tournament uh, over the course of the tournament about how she um, didn't get the chance to play as a little girl in England. It was actually um, against the rules of the FA. The FA in England did not allow women to play or young girls to play soccer when she was a little girl. And I, I you know, I think that that's something that, um, you know, that still bothers her on some level. And uh, I think just the symbolism of maybe uh, getting a chance to lead the English team down the road. It's an it's an up and coming program. There's there's going to be money available there. I think they're they're wealthy enough to pay her, um, you know, what she uh, what she could command. Um, but we haven't seen the last of her. But I think just the sense I get is that she might step away. She's got a teenage daughter. She probably wants to spend time with. Um, and the only thing that really you know beyond the money that's left for her to prove is to is to win uh, an Olympic gold medal. Um, so it's possible she comes back for another year. But if if you put me on the spot, I'd say. Uh, I would say it's probably 60-40 that she walks away at this point. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, you can follow him at by Doug McIntyre. All his work is on Yahoo Sports. Just wanted to give you the floor if you wanted to add anything else before we let you go. Yeah, no, the the one thing I would say is that uh, the the only disappointing part, and, and, and again, uh, you know, incredible experience, incredible uh, to get the chance to cover any World Cup. Um, this was right up there. Um, for me in terms of events that I've, I've covered. Um, but a little disappointed that, uh, that the Gold Cup was, uh, was going on at the same time uh, when, you know, I, I, would love to have, I would love to have covered that tournament as well. And, uh, and anytime you know, the U.S. men are, are in a final against Mexico, that's the sort of game you want to cover. So, you know, for all, all the talk about how it was, you know, no good for the fans, I really, I really didn't see it that way. I mean, I think that if you're a U.S. soccer fan, you had no problem getting up in the morning watching the the women win win the uh, women's World Cup and then watching the men's game at night. Um, but you know, the the unfortunate thing from a media point of view was a lot of people had to make a choice, and I think that's unfortunate for both tournaments. I think the the coverage could have been better for both tournaments uh, if they had been played at at different times. And certainly, there was a lot of people that would have been at the Gold Cup final that weren't because they were they were covering the World Cup, and that's the right decision. And and that you know, from an organizational standpoint, that was our priority. Um, and, it, and it should have been, but um, I hope it doesn't happen again because, uh, you know, we need as much coverage of, uh, of, all, of all soccer uh, in North America, I think, as possible. So um, that's the only thing I would say, but beyond that, tremendous experience and uh, a real privilege to get to cover uh, an, amazing, an amazing team. So I uh, hope everyone enjoyed it, and uh, I hope the uh, U.S. team made some new fans and will continue to, uh, to continue to grow the fan base, and I'm sure they will. Yes, absolutely. Thanks again, Doug. You got it, guys. Anytime.
little bit of news there, huh, Jake? Sounds like it. Sounds like there's some hints that Jill Ellis won't be back yeah. as manager of the national team. That's kind of some big news. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the Olympics are next year, so the U.S. do have to, to prepare for that. I know they just celebrated their fourth title, but we do have to move on and, and get ready for the Olympics in, in that cycle of things. But, guys, something that also caught my attention that Doug mentioned was how the European domestic leagues are going to grow. And, and he's, you know, he has a little concern with the NWSL. And we talked about it here on the show, but Armand, you, you – your sources or the people you've ran, ran into tell you otherwise. I, I, I'm kind of torn, right? Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of torn because you know these these, these leagues are. What a lot of people say you know the, the NWSL is easily the best league in the world, right? In terms of talent, but as we always mention, these European leagues are starting to invest money because they're starting to see return from it, right? They're starting to see return, and once you start investing it, you start seeing return. You're gonna start investing more. I mean, Real Madrid really just bought the license uh, to uh, have a women's team. Like, why would Real Madrid do that? Leon obviously is kind of the blueprint of what you want for a women's uh, women's team, I guess, in the future. And they they have so much they have so much investment as well. Look, the NWSL, I don't think it'll happen anytime soon but it's approaching that point because the, the NWC has so much like concentrated talent if that makes any sense right so a lot all that talent's concentrated their football is going to be better overall in Europe you might have two or three teams in the French league or maybe a couple teams in the English league that are really good as well but like throughout the NWSL all the teams are pretty quality they, I think the next step for NWSL is hopefully they figure out a way to get bigger pockets into the league and have more, and again, have more investment. And, you know, I wouldn't, if, if, if MLS, like, like what Liga MX does, I mean, if MLS says, hey, like, a part of expansion, expansion fee, you have to invest in the women's team. Like, why not? I don't see how that's an issue in any way, shape, or form. And that helps the league grow as well with more deeper pockets. I mean, they can't even accept the deal with Barcelona because of a, a sponsorship issue. Like, you know how dumb that is? One of the biggest teams in the world wants to invest in your league, but you have a huge sponsorship conflict. Like, come on, like, ah, uh, that, that 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 that's bizarre to me. I mean, yeah, I, I just think it's incompetency. I don't I don't know. Uh, if, if the NWSL becomes worse than these leagues, it's, it's honestly 100 percent due to incompetency. No other no other thing about it. Listeners, we asked Doug on this, but we want to get your take as well. Question of the day. Do you think the Women's World Cup will have a positive impact on NWSL? And if so, how big of an impact will it be? Let us know on Twitter, at UncSamSoccerPod. You can follow Stephen Jodran at Stephen Jodran. You can follow Armand Kafai at Armand Kafai. You can follow me at Jake Watroba. For Stephen, for Armand, I'm Jake. We'll talk to you guys next time. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you can save at PenFed.org slash auto refi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. 
Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end, it's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.